in the immortal words of Tom Brady, I think there's something called the tuck rule. And I can certainly see the tuck rule coming into play here. But the SEC, as you have noted in your blog post, has made clear they don't want gamesmanship around these disclosures. They want a, a solid informational disclosure. This is Tom Fox. How does the tuck rule apply to the recently released SEC rules on cyber disclosure? Well, find out as Matt Kelly and I take a deep dive into the rules, which were voted on by the SEC last week. We take a look at the new rules, how it will work in public, and how they will apply to your organization. It's a topical issue of something that will only become more important down the road for compliance. The award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Welcome back, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, we had some Pretty important news last week, although it seemed to be almost less than a thud where the SEC adopted some cyber disclosure rules. I think we both think it's a big deal, but what did you think about the way it went down? And then we can get into what it all means. Sure. Well, actually, I was a bit surprised that the SEC voted on this when it did, because these expanded disclosures around cybersecurity risks and incidents, exactly what that means, we'll get to later on. But the SEC had originally proposed these nearly 18 months ago. I think it was March of 2022. And then I thought they would be adopted maybe later on that year or early this year. And then they said that actually, no, they were not going to adopt them until maybe October of 2023 at the latest or at the earliest and back and forth. And then suddenly out of nowhere, two weeks ago, they said, nope, we're going to vote for them by the end of July. And then they did vote on these rules by the end of July. They are long expected. They are in most ways quite similar to the original proposals back from 2022. But, Tom, it seemed more like the proposals from the original were quite far-reaching, as if the commission was going to swing for the fences, get a whole bunch of comments, and then settle on something less than what it had originally scoped out. What it has finally adopted is still significant, but not quite as far-fetched as we had been led to believe And now here we are with these new disclosure rules that will go into effect at the end of this year. So companies that have an end of year calendar fiscal year of December 31st, it's a whole lot of stuff you're going to have to start doing in just a couple of more months. Well, do you want to start with the headline, which was the disclosure you have to make, the analysis you have to go through to determine whether you have to make a disclosure and when that disclosure may need to be made. Sure. So there were two big chunks here in what a company will need to disclose. Number one is, in my humble opinion, the more boring stuff. In the annual report, you'll need to make disclosures about the company's broad cybersecurity risks and how the company goes about trying to manage those risks. And that gets reported and included in the 10K. 
The more interesting and more challenging part of the rule is that you will also need to disclose material cybersecurity incidents within four days of deciding that the incident is material. Um, You can take longer to decide whether or not this incident that we have suffered is material. But once you decide that it's material, you have four days to disclose in an 8K filing the impact of this breach on corporate operations or material impact that it will have. So there's a whole lot of analysis that will have to happen about, number one, is this something we need to report at all? Is it material? And then number two, okay, it is material. What is the thing that we actually disclose? Originally, you would have to disclose a lot of details of how did this happen? Is it still ongoing? When did you notice it? And there was a lot of ambivalence around that because some people did say that would give attackers a better insight into what did or didn't work with our attack Maybe we could use that against other companies. Maybe other attackers could do the same thing against this same company. And they didn't want to divulge all of those details. So instead of divulging a lot of those details, you're going to have to disclose the impact of the breach. And that would be things such as the financial consequences of this, any qualitative effects of the breach. Is this going to burn relations with key suppliers or really alienate customers? Will it lead to massive regulatory settlements sometime down the road? You'll need to disclose that sort of stuff. The only other interesting point, Tom, is what about if you have suffered an attack and law enforcement says, don't disclose it yet? Because we're still trying to track these cyber attackers down and we don't want them to know we're on them, onto them yet. So don't disclose it. Now, that's not uncommon in the cybersecurity world right now. You might suffer a ransomware attack. You don't admit it because law enforcement is trying to go track down the thieves and keep you from needing to pay the ransom. That's the sort of situation that might occur. Originally, the original proposal said, so what? You're going to have to disclose this anyways, even if law enforcement asks you not to. That was a big deal. That would leave heads of corporate security probably breathing into a paper bag. It was such a big deal. Now you have a process to keep the disclosure uh, undisclosed, to keep the disclosure private if it is a threat to national security or public safety. You could go and get permission from the attorney general. It would have to be a process. You go to the Justice Department, the AG's office, signs off to say, no, this would be harming to public safety or to national security. And then you could take that permission back to the SEC, tell them you're not going to disclose this for 30 days. That's how long it is. Uh, Then, in theory, you could go back and re-petition the attorney general's office for another 30-day extension where you don't disclose it. So there's a mechanism to keep some uh, breaches private. I'm not sure how that's going to work in practice. How easy will it be to do this? How many exemptions could you possibly get? Not clear on it. A lot of people, though, were upset about the law enforcement issue, and they've kind of sort of addressed it. I'm just not sure they've addressed it enough. Now, isn't this issue, though, the result of a, of a policy choice, and that choice being transparency over 
use of the information by law enforcement? Yes, it's a policy choice. And so we should not be surprised that different people have different views about what the policy should be, and they're arguing over it. I could see the point that if there is an active investigation trying to prevent a cybersecurity breach from getting worse, that maybe we shouldn't announce that investigation to the world where the attackers would see it. People aren't wrong to raise that scenario. And the ransomware scenario is really tailor-made for that argument, that you know you might be tracking these people down, you're close to getting them, they don't know that they are that the cops are hot on their trail and they're waiting for you to pay the ransom. But if you then have to disclose the breach, suddenly the ransomware attackers might say, well, screw you. I'm just going to shotgun your stuff all over the internet anyways and burn the encryption key and you'll never get it back. Like that could happen. So I see that. On the other hand, I certainly see the, the argument on the other side that if you don't require companies to disclose their cybersecurity incidents. There are plenty of them who will never disclose this. That has also happened throughout you know, the, the, year, the years of the Internet age. So, yes, it's a policy choice. Yes, investors could be harmed by not knowing how strong the company's cybersecurity measures are. And one indicator of that would be disclosing how many incidents you suffer so there are different points here, and this is where the SEC has tried to cut the baby in half. It still strikes me as a high bar to be able to get that disclosure exemption. There are a lot of attacks, and you know, are we really going to have companies running to the attorney general's office all the time seeking exemptions? The attorney general does have a day job, being the attorney general of the whole country. So are they going to create a dedicated wing within the AG's office to entertain these requests? What is the evidence you'd have to provide to that? What about getting repeated exemptions. At some point, we have to blow the whistle and call the play over. So like I said, there is a mechanism here now to address the law enforcement concerns. I'm not sure how this is going to work in practice. I will be curious to see it. Well, in the immortal words of Tom Brady, I think there's something called the tuck rule. And I can certainly see the tuck rule coming into play here but the SEC, as you have noted in your blog post, has made clear they don't want gamesmanship around these disclosures. They want a, a, a solid informational disclosure. What do you read into the um, SEC's criticism of, for instance, Pearson, as shown by the fine and penalty over there, less than fulsome disclosure, Matt? Yeah, this is another good point for cybersecurity people to keep in mind. Not only has the SEC now adopted these expanded new disclosure rules, shortly before that vote was taken, and I think that's an important point to raise, even before we got to these rules, the head of the enforcement division gave a speech about disclosing cybersecurity incidents and what his comp his division looks at for bad practices that might lead to an enforcement action. So I think it's telling he spoke about all of this before the new rules were adopted. Just to remind everybody, you could have been, and there have been companies who have suffered enforcement actions 
Long before any of the new stuff, even on just existing disclosure rules, you can get nailed for poor disclosure of cyber incidents. So Gerbier Gruwal, he is the head of enforcement at the SEC, he did give a couple of examples. One is First American Title Insurance and the other is Pearson, both of which gave like misleading disclosures to investors about the nature of the breaches that they suffered. First American... They had suffered a breach, and they thought it wasn't material, so they did announce in disclosure to investors, we've suffered a breach, but it's not a big deal. There's not a whole lot of sensitive information exposed. First American's IT team then subsequently realized, oh, crap, we were wrong. This is a big deal. We better fix it, which they did, but they didn't disclose that this is a bigger deal internally. They did not relay that new information up to the disclosure folks at First American. So that disclosure they had made to investors was wrong. We said it wasn't a big deal. Turns out it was a big deal. And the only ones who knew it were the IT department. Good for the IT department that they caught it and they fixed it. Bad for the company that they didn't have an internal mechanism to report the new information to the disclosure people. Pearson, on the other hand, they suffered an extensive breach and they sell... testing aids for professional licenses, college assignments, things like that. So they have a lot of student data, a lot of academic data, a lot of confidential data. They suffered a breach. And they said, well, there may have been some exposure of confidential data. That's what they put in their announcement when they had already known there was no may have involved here. The attackers saw directly a whole lot of personal data, absconded with copies of it to parts unknown on the dark web. And the company knew that this was not a hypothetical thing. The company knew this was a real thing. This damage had already happened. But they had disclosed to investors, framing it as, well, maybe there was some loss of data. It's the may have and the maybes and framing it as hypothetical. That is what enforcement director Gruwal really zeroed in on and said, no way, you can't do that. That's why they led to an enforcement action. So it's a lot about getting your facts right internally and then disclosing that to investors. Now, you didn't have to announce exactly how did the hackers get in, what security measures failed, all of that. None of that needs to be disclosed, but you do need to disclose the severity of the incident which means you need to know how severe it is, the the people disclosing, and they didn't at First American. And you need to know the reality of what actually happened, which Pearson did know that, but they didn't disclose it in a clear way to investors. They framed it as hypothetical. And so here we are. Um, Tom, the only other point I would like to stress from Director Gruwal's speech is he talked a lot about the importance of policies. And they have to have proper policies for handling cybersecurity incidents that are useful and relevant to your company. And he did say a lot of companies copy the language from a regulation, paste it in your policy manual, and then declare victory and go home. That's not a policy. That is a cut and paste job from existing federal securities rules. And he said that's not enough. You can't just say you need to have these systems in place to find red flags. That's enough for the SEC to tell companies what to do. But a company needs to be much more specific to its employees to say, here is how we find the red flags. And when you see them, here is how you report them internally. And that was another big point of Director Gruwal's speech is that 
policies are important and they need to be clear and relevant and specific to your company. Now, one of the areas that uh, did not make it through as proposed, or at least was changed in the final rules, was the obligations at the board level. Could you talk about what the original proposed board obligation was, how that changed, and do you thoughts on uh, what the SEC may have been trying to communicate with that change? Well, yeah. So I think the most interesting change was that originally the proposed rules said you would need to disclose the cyber expertise of your board directors, if any. And that very clearly was going to be a subtle pressure tactic that you should get cyber experts on your board. Because if you disclose that we don't have any cyber expertise, people might infer, therefore, that, oh, geez, this board is a bunch of fools who don't know how to manage cyber risk. And therefore, you would have greater incentive to hire directors who do have cyber risk. That went out from the final rule. You do not need to disclose the cyber expertise of your board directors. You can if you want. And I think that would probably be a wise idea to assuage investors' concerns about does this board know how to handle cyber issues. But you don't need to do that because, according to the SEC, from the public feedback it received on the original proposal, they came around to the idea that most of cyber risk management is done at the management level. So it's more important to disclose what is the company doing because it's the management in-house executives who are probably doing that rather than how is the board overseeing this. The board has to oversee all risks and you do have to discuss that in broad terms, but cyber risk is just one among many risks that the board has to think about. So they kind of retreated from that specific disclosure expertise requirement I guess maybe they listened to public commenters who said that really your defenses depend on what management does, not on what the board tells management to do. Um, So they'll still need to do some of the other things, such as talk about the process for identifying and addressing cybersecurity risks. That's still in there. They're still going to have to – let me see if I have the direct quote here – Companies must disclose the or discuss the processes, if any, for assessing, identifying, and managing material risks from cybersecurity threats in sufficient detail for a reasonable investor to understand those processes. I don't know exactly what that will mean in practice. I look forward to seeing some specific examples of it by early 2024, when the first 10Ks under this new rule will start appearing. But to a certain extent, that shouldn't feel too different than other disclosures about how you assess risk, how you try to manage it. There have been a lot of different risks companies have had to grapple with over the years, and they have to talk about them in the 10K. This is just the latest in that long parade. Matt, I'd like to end with your thoughts, if any, on the what you've characterized as the, quote, usual three-two partisan split. Uh, Do you recall the objections of the two Republican commissioners, and is it anything new or different than we'd heard previously? Um, Yes, I recall them. No, they're not anything we haven't heard previously from the two Republicans. And in fairness, in other worlds, we have seen plenty of 3-2 splits during Republican administrations where Democrats are basically, you know, raising the same sort of concerns from the minority position. But basically, the criticism here had been that these rules were too extensive, 
unnecessary because companies must always disclose about material risks, whether they're cyber or anything else, and that really by guiding companies to this level, the SEC is trying to dictate how they should run their cybersecurity functions. I am not saying I agree with that position. I do not think it is true. But that is what the Republican commissioners did say. They were not happy about this. They do agree that, yes, cybersecurity is a big issue and companies need to address it, but they don't see required disclosures as the proper vehicle for this. I suppose, in theory, if the general public wants companies to do better at cybersecurity, Congress should enact a law. I get where that theory comes from. In the real world, Congress doesn't enact anything these days, so... You know, you have to go where you can and investors being aware of how companies are handling cyber risks. That's one avenue to try and get it addressed. So here we are with the usual three two partisan split. Any thoughts on potential litigation or threat litigation that you've heard of? Uh, that is a good question. I do not have a good answer for as of yet. I have not specifically heard of, typically it would be the U.S. Chamber or one of those other groups out there who would try to litigate over this. As with all things around regulation these days, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries to litigate over this. I just have not specifically heard any threats yet that, yep, we're taking this in the federal court. Could happen. I don't know. We'll have to stay tuned. Well, I think we're going to be able to uh, visit on this topic and issue again down the road, Matt. I think so, Tom. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog posts for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century, Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting and compliance in AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.